Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. My name is Victor Shi. I'm currently a sophomore at UCLA, was elected as the youngest delegate for Joe Biden, and co-hosts this podcast. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks, the author of The Watergate Girl, based on my experience as the only woman on the trial team for the Watergate scandal. And I'm also the wearer of hashtag Jill's pins. And today's pin is a symbol of it's time for us to put sexual assault behind us. And that will relate to our guest today. The Me Too movement blossomed in 2016. It marked a transformational moment for our country as both men and women, but mostly women, took to the streets to protest sexual assault and demand an end to the egregious treatment of women by men with more power than their victims. Since that movement started, our country has grown more united in our pursuit of rooting out sexual misconduct in the workplace. But has it been enough? Are women the only people affected by sexual misconduct? What happens when it happens to a man? For those who have seen the film Disclosure with Mike Douglas and Demi Moore, you know that a female boss may be the aggressor against a male subordinate. As a member of a subcommittee at the Pentagon investigating sexual assault in the military, I know that more men are sexually assaulted by other males than are women. Yes, the percentage of women is higher, but because there are more men in the military, the actual number of men assaulted is a far greater one. Today, we will explore the question that this raises with our guest, Vaughn Fayen, a victim of sexual assault while working in the private sector. Uh, he was at a company called Diversa, and it was a headhunting firm that helps to put executives into startup companies, entrepreneurial-type companies, and like the Olympic gymnasts who bravely brought their case to the FBI and to Olympic officials but got no results, Vaughn has taken what many will consider a very difficult step and brought his workplace sexual assault to court. His case alleges that his boss, the second-in-command at Diversa, uh, Bruce Brown, sexually assaulted him on three separate occasions. The lawsuit is now pending in the Federal District Court of the District of Columbia, and because his case portrays very explicit sexual conduct, we want to warn sensitive viewers or those with young children who may be listening to this now that they may want to pause this episode of iGen Politics. Thank you, Vaughn, for being with us today. Thank you, Jill. Thanks, Victor. I appreciate it. Of course. So let's get started by going through maybe some basic facts. Um, you were hired at Diversa right out of college. Um, what was your position and to whom did you report? Yeah, so um, this is my first job out of college. I did the classic interview thing during first semester and second semester of senior year, was looking at a lot of different options. Um, and then I uh, was introduced to Diversa uh, by my uncle who had actually previously worked at the company very, very early on. Um, during their formate, basically their formation period. Um, and I was a consultant. I was hired with three other individuals in the Washington DC office. Um, and I reported originally into um, an associate um, and then I was taken out of that associate's control and put directly under the managing partner of the firm. Do you know why that happened Why you were put into the managing director of the firm? Um, well, I think it's become clear to me now 
and I think that's part of the message that um, I may adequately express. I may not. Hopefully, I do. But um, it it started out very simply that oh, Vaughn, you're doing such a good job at work. You're on so many projects. Um, you need a good uh, quote unquote mentor, and this is the second in command in the company. He built out the West Coast practice. He's put in people for Compass, Ticketmaster, Uber, Airbnb, Palo Alto Networks, MongoDB, and this is the best person to work for. That did not end up being true, um, and I don't. I will let you guys take the lead, but uh, it simply was a very turbulent period of my life, something I've reflected on a lot, talked to a lot of people about, and now have this lawsuit because of. So how soon after you started at Diversa did you experience behavior from your boss that you might have considered strange or inappropriate? Um, three weeks, unfortunately. Uh, my The first text of... I, now that I reflect that was inappropriate was we were all in training because this is my first job out of college. There were 15 new hires across the firm. And he texted me, come down to Northside, which is a bar in the middle of the training session. And someone from my office was leading the train, training session for these 15 to 20 other people. And he was like, I don't care what is going on. I need you to meet me at this bar. And then when I got down there, he was like, wow, uh, you passed my test. This is going to be a good relationship for both of us. And so when that happened, did you report it to anyone? If so, to whom? Like your peers, friends, family? No, I did not. Because I didn't even know if this was acceptable for the corporate business world, um, especially like a Silicon Valley company, where tech is a quick-moving, innovative industry and... I mean, that's why you have all of these incredible first movers out there because you have to constantly be adjusting to what's coming at you. So it actually took um, until after the first assault, months after that, for me to start thinking, oh, wow. So being pulled out of um, working sessions or training sessions or asked to literally drive from the office to the airport to meet him when he was coming back to DC or him asking me, um, do you want to come to a basketball game? Don't tell anyone else, but it'll just be me and you or him saying, meet me on Saturday or Sunday. Let's meet at a bar near my, um, home in Bethesda or wherever it was. And I was like, wow. So that's what that all meant. But when I was going through it, it did not even register. Interesting. Um, your complaint vividly describes three principal episodes of sexual misconduct. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, this is obviously difficult, but if you could maybe outline the conduct so that we have a, a, a framework for discussing what your case is about and what this means for other assaulted employees. Yes. So, um, the first assault was the, I think, the worst one, in my opinion. Um, number one, because I think it was pure shock when and after it happened. Um, and I mean, confusion, I mean, kind of blew me away as to why this was going on. Because he's married with two kids and to married to a woman. Um, 
So the first assault, the CEO had flown down to the Washington, D.C. office for the day. Um, CEO Paul DeVersa, he had given us a lot of great learning advice, um, tips on how to make the short list in the firm, which is indicative of how the rest of the day went. Um, and then after Bruce had dropped Paul off at the airport, he started texting me saying, um, let's meet at a place near your apartment. I'll pick you up. And when I asked, oh, I have a mentor that asked me to do drinks tonight. Can she come too? He said something along the lines of, no, you're my boy. I just want to hang with you one-on-one and don't tell anyone else this is happening. So, I mean, I was still four months into the job. So I said, okay, I left the office at five. He picks me up right outside my apartment. We drove to a restaurant in city center in Washington, D.C., um, we had a dinner and he just started drinking like very aggressively. Um, and I was not, and am not a big drinker, but he had a couple of martinis. And then after the first one, he, something must've flipped because he was asking me if I was attracted to him, if I loved him, if we could go back to my apartment afterward for a nightcap And I was just so floored because his excuse to me was for having this dinner, I got some feedback from the CEO specifically about you. I need to share it with you so you can do better. And what do you say when the second in command in the firm says that to you? And in a job that it's your first one out of college and something that you want to excel at. I mean, this is your first experience of the working world. You don't want to fail. And then after he basically said those things, um, I was like, okay, time to leave. The dinner finished. And then we walked back down to his car because he drove me. And he started tickling me as we were walking to his car in the parking garage. And I think that was just so surprising because I've never even tickled a significant other before. Like, my first reaction is not to tickle someone. It's maybe to put my arm around them if I'm involved with them, but not to tickle them. And then he went directly from the tickling and he grabbed my crotch and then started making all of these jokes. Oh, wow, I imagined um, what your penis would feel like or, wow, it's so big. And that's basically when I was like, you know what, I, I'm just going to call an Uber home. Um, thank you very much, but I'm just going to call an Uber home. And I remember him turning to me and saying, you're not going to get your stuff back if you don't let me drive you home. And I don't even remember what I said to that, but I just kept repeating, no, I need to call an Uber home. And he was like, you're not getting your backpack or your laptop or anything back unless you ride home. So... I got in the car, he drove me home, and then he parked outside of my apartment and tickled me again. And then I was, I pushed him off of me and I reached for the door as he was tickling me. And then he threw his right arm against my chest and held me down in the car as he put his hands down my pants. And were you able... Go ahead. No, no, you can finish your description. 
yeah, so he put his hand down my pants and I probably bumped him off or pushed me off. And then I got out of the car, retrieved my backpack and I went inside and I cried for an hour or two. Yep. And now there is clearly a power dynamic between the two of you. And I, I don't mean I, I, he may be the same size or bigger than you are, but he's your boss. He's the person who is evaluating your performance, the person who can affect your career. And you're just in your first year at this firm. Um, mm-hmm. So was that part of what was going through your mind of how do I survive in this workplace in this circumstance? Uh, absolutely. I was, and I, I studied neuroscience and psycho and psych in college, along with philosophy. And I went through semesters of psychiatric disorders and the study of anxiety and like the pathways of anxiety, what parts of the brain are triggered. And I'm going to be honest with you. I truly thought even after studying all of that, anxiety, depression, and things like that were not real. Like, I truly did not think. I thought those were things that people who, who could not cope with a situation, that is the verbalization of what they were feeling. But that would never happen to me. And the only reason I say that is because I was so confused and so shocked after that first time. And then when it proceeded to happen twice more, I was so confused as to... Well, number one, he's supposed to be straight. So was this just some drunken, um, out-of-control behavior? Well, that's not true because he did it twice more. Um, And then I went to, well, crap, this is my boss. He's second in command to the firm. He's been doing this for 25, 30 years. I've always wanted to work in the tech environment. And on top of that, he's threatening me on a daily basis. He's threatening me if I don't get the work done goodbye, you're going to be given to someone else in the firm who isn't successful. He's threatening me. If I tell anyone, he's going to end my career and ruin me. And at the end of the day, I was like, wow, this firm doesn't even have an HR department after 30 years. So who do I go to that's going to believe me? So that is something I can definitely relate to for a number of reasons, but um, it's mine is because as the only woman, who do I get advice from? I can't go to a peer because there, there were none when I first started. Um, right. Luckily for me, when I had um, a sexual assault, I was at an excellent company, um, Motorola, which had not only an HR department, but had, I had witnesses, which I want to talk to you about because you have in your complaint you obviously describe things that are within this power dynamic we're talking about where uh, you had someone who had authority and power over you um, and was using it to force you to comply to his desires, uh, spending time with him, drinking with him, um, and you had no one to report it to. But um, at Motorola, the witnesses reported it to the HR department, which then came to me and said, would you like to file a complaint? Now, I chose not to, and we'll talk about your decisions about who you reported it to. But in fact, let's start there right now, which is when this 
very serious episode you've just described happened, did you report it to anyone? I mean, was there anyone you yes. could go to? And who was that? I actually, do you remember the Christine Bassley Ford, Brett Kavanaugh? I mean, it yes. was, I mean, I am ashamed to admit it. I did not believe her. I did not believe her because I don't remember the years, but it took her 16 years to tell someone. And I feel absolutely disgusting and awful about myself because now having experienced it, I know why someone doesn't report. It is humiliating, debilitating to such an extent that I have been out of that company for, I think, a year and a half or two years at this point. I flash back to the moments that he was doing or saying those things to me. So now I know why someone like Dr. Ford did not report, but I had also watched her um, on TV testify, and I said, that is not going to be me. I told my parents within... I think 48 hours of it happening, a best friend from Boston College had visited me 12 hours after it happened. I told her the minute she landed, I told one of my colleagues in the DC office within a week, and I told another colleague in the LA office within a week. And I did that because I think there was such guilt that came with what happened, but I was running the risk of no one believing me. And that's what I've faced so far in this lawsuit from their corporate lawyers. Um, and, and even now they don't have HR department, is that correct? It's, you're just dealing with lawyers? <laughs> that is the interesting part. So upon my departure, um, within four or five months, not only did they implement a full HR department after 30 years of not having one, they implemented a chief financial officer. They raised base salaries across the firm with that the chief financial officer did because Diversa also didn't pay me $62,000 in commissions, 62,000. So they've implemented an HR, a chief financial officer and even though they fired me, the guy no longer works at the company and he now has his own search firm. So <laughs> well, it may be a coincidence. I can't speculate. I think it's just interesting timing that everything I have alleged, quote unquote, in my complaint, they are now backtracking and trying to fix. Interesting. So um, now there are two other incidents, but before we talk about either of those, there are subtler um, things that happened. And this is very common, I think, in, in assault and harassment cases, um, inappropriate conversations where it wasn't a question of him touching you, but either communicating through writing or verbally um, about subjects that would be inappropriate for a boss to have with any employee. Um, correct, and correct. can you either tell us about some of those or more importantly, were there witnesses to those incidents? I mean, you were alone in the car when this other thing happened, but did, did anybody see or hear these or were they s subject to these same sort of, um, episodes with this particular person? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad we caught it on this week as opposed to last week or the week before. So part of a um, lawsuit is there's a process called discovery. And then you have the depositions of people who are either relevant or who would be able to refute or support your claims. And although I can't disclose the identities of anyone, we've started having depositions with my former colleagues. And both of them have said that there was a concern raised as to why he was spending so much time with me. There was a concern raised as to why he was speaking at to me the way he was speaking to me. There was a concern raised as to why he was yanking me out of trainings and all those things I said before just because he wanted to drink with me. So people heard it. Now, we still have a lot of depositions and a lot of statements to get, but I'm hoping that people actually find what they think is the right thing to do and speak up on my behalf because a lot of the comments that were made were in an office environment. Precisely. So um, one of the um, episodes that you describe involves your actually sharing a bed with him on a business trip. And I think some future jurors, for example, when we're talking about this in a trial context, may wonder how in the world he could have pressured you enough to share not just a room, but a bed on a business trip. Is there something you can say about that? Absolutely. And I'll also clarify, I didn't actually get in the bed. So the first time it ever happened that not only did he book the same room, like you said, but he got a king-sized bed. I had just gotten off a five-hour flight from Washington, D.C. to, I think, San Francisco or LAX. It was 1.30, 1, 1.30 when we landed. We showed up at the hotel probably around 2. I was exhausted after a five-hour flight. And, by the way, who expects on a business trip their boss to get a king size bed. I walked in, I looked at it and I was like, well, where's my room? And you know what he said? Sorry, this is the only thing we could get. And I just stood there and I was like, what? Well, can we get another room? And he's like, well, it's too late. We have to be up in a few hours anyway. Um, I'll put pillows down the middle, just get in the bed. And I said, no, absolutely not. And he just kept repeating it. I promise um, we'll put pillows down the middle. This will be only for one night. Um, Just get in the bed uh, and we can wake up tomorrow and pretend like this has never happened. I kept saying no, no, no for another 20 minutes when he kept asking me. So I ended up sleeping on the chair and then I moved to the floor. So I actually never got in the bed with him. And I've actually thought a lot about this. Why didn't... and Diverse's lawyers brought this up to me. Why didn't I just walk back down the hallway to the front desk and say, I need another room? Probably because I was so tired. Probably because I was shocked that there was a king size bed. But also, you have to understand, I was being paid like $55,000 living in a major metropolitan city and having to pay for a lot of these business expenses 
by myself that should have been reimbursed from the company, mind you. So the $400 a night it would take in this nice hotel to get an on-the-spot reservation, I simply did not have. And, and I assume that the power dynamic between you constrained you in some ways in confronting him. Uh, would that be correct? I actually confronted him a lot, not only after he touched me, um, but on a lot of these comments, too. And I know there's a few in the complaint of me literally saying, stop, I've asked you a hundred times, stop talking to me in this way. But then I would just receive another threat. I would push back and then boom, the bulldozer would come right back. I'm managing partner of the firm. I can make your life miserable. I have built the top tech companies in the United States of America. And if I were to give one word, you would never get another job in the tech world. And luckily, one of my best friends heard that when I called up and resigned. Literally said, it was him saying, this is a small world. I will make sure you don't get another job in the tech industry. Wait, are you saying that someone overheard him saying that to you? Yep. And what was the circumstances they heard it? I had called up on June 30th of 2020, uh, a little less under a year. I called up. I said, I'm resigning. This was after COVID and we had been working remotely. I had just gotten back from London where I had spent it with my boyfriend for four or five months. I called up. I said, look, I'm done. I'm resigning. And they gave me a counteroffer of $150,000. My base was 55, and they gave me a counter of $150,000. And when I said, I'm going to have to think on it, he said, this world is too small. Tell me where you're going. Um, if you don't tell me, you're never getting another job in this tech industry ever again. Uh, let me ask you a question. I just sort of a slightly different subject, but um, my understanding was that Diverso was really a headhunting firm. Um, and although it placed people in startups. Uh, was it limited to startups in the tech industry? Um, Did you keep referring well, to it as a tech company? Yes. So I, I guess I should clarify. Um, they are headhunting. Um, and I know there's some consulting that takes place between the higher level mm -hmm. management, the CEO, um, the managing partner when he was there, and a few of the other senior partners. But they're responsible for getting the adults in the room for early day Uber, early day Snapchat, right. early day Ticketmaster, before they're the monstrosities that they are now. So um, I assume that that witness will testify at your trial um, and that others who may have heard or witnessed physical touching will be able to help support your case. Uh, are you planning on calling them? Oh, I'm absolutely planning on calling them. Um, I, I can't legally say what they're going to say because I don't know myself, no, but I am absolutely going to be calling the people who I believe witnessed, heard, and eventually said something. Well, one of the things that, as you pointed out, women face is that they aren't believed um, and that they're questioned as to why they didn't do certain other things differently. Um, and I think... Uh, based on, again, this film disclosure, it may be harder for a man 
to do this than for a woman to, to do it, uh, because there's other dynamics involved in, in, in it. I know that I chose not to go forward with any complaint in my circumstance, and I don't regret that. Um, um, but do you feel that because you were a man that you were under an additional burden of difficulty in reporting this? Yeah. I, and I'm going to take this from two ways, so bear with me. I promise I won't dilly-dally. But I think men and why men don't report um, is an issue. But I ultimately think that comes down to the portrayal of masculinity. Um, I think the masculine image, um, and Jill, you said the Army is a great example, absolutely great example. I was in the ROTC program at Boston College for a bit. Um, so... Nothing happened at Boston College. In fact, they were exceptionally open to hearing any type of complaint. Mm -hmm. But I think the Army is a huge, huge um, field for this type of behavior to, be, to occur. Because as a man, suck it up, close your mouth, put your head down, and just keep on doing it, or you are viewed as weak. Yeah. And weakness correlates with you're not masculine enough, you're a failure. So I had another hurdle because I'm part of the queer or gay or whatever you want to call it community. So I've actually already come to terms with my masculinity. I'm really fine. I mean, I was a three-sport athlete growing up. I know <laughs> what locker room talk is. I experienced a locker room talk on steroids. So they are claiming. Um, but I think being gay has actually helped me through this process because I came to terms with my own sexuality and masculinity before this happened. So I didn't feel coming forward was a sign of weakness on my point. I felt actually it's more empowering because I'm speaking up against an injustice. Very interesting. Um, Victor, did you have some questions? Well, yeah, so there's one allegation in your complaint that reads, quote, uh, Mr. Brown reminded Mr. Fayen that Mr. Diversa that, uh, was, uh, was his best friend and that Mr. Fayen could not do anything to change that. Um, we talked a lot about the, uh, the power dynamic and the fear of retribution, but I'm wondering how those instances also impacted your morale at the company. Yeah. Um... <sighs> I think, like I said before, it's interesting timing that they have made so many changes after 30 years in such a little time. And Paul DeVersa is still CEO. How do you let your best friend resign after seeing these text messages? Mind you, Bruce was not fired. He was allowed to resign. And the complaint is factually based. So the texts that are in the complaint are texts that we have in writing. A lot of them like, quote, pull back and go get fucked from Bruce to me. Any CEO who thinks that's acceptable should not be CEO to begin with. And that is the exact behavior I expected from Paul DeVersa the entire time Bruce was threatening me. They let him resign after seeing the complaint. 
So actually, at the end of the day, I was proved right. If I had gone to Paul Diversa, nothing would have happened. Right. And I think that just speaks more to this lack of accountability that those with power, um, I guess, face because they have power. So they get away with many of these um, injustices. I'm I'm wondering what your experience has been like after you left. You mentioned that when you resigned, Mr. Uh, actually, uh, Mr. Brown continued to threaten you, saying that um, he'd find where you'd work next, and Diversa terminated you instead of accepting your resignation and then blamed you for its negative reviews on social media. How has that experience at Diversa impacted you since? Um, and maybe talk about what you're doing now as well. Yeah. So when I said social media, um, there's a website called Glassdoor. It's like indeed.com where you can post reviews about working at a job or a corporation or something and other prospective employees um, can look and review what people are saying, who's actually worked there. I was being blamed after I left for these negative reviews popping up on Glassdoor. That is illegal. That is slander. They were slandering me to the rest of the company saying I was writing these negative reviews when I did not write a single one of them. But it just shows the vindictive nature of the firm. They were angry that I left and they found their scapegoat. It was perfect for them. And then, I mean, my life, Victor, to answer the second part of your question, my life has been completely ripped apart. The, this lawsuit has taken two to three hours daily for me to get through. My lawyers, God bless her soul, Carla Brown is an angel because I'm 24 and I now understand why no one under 40 or 50 goes through a lawsuit. You are mentally, socially, um, emotionally dragged through the mud and made to feel like every single word that you're saying is completely false and inaccurate. So I've actually gone back to my complaint and to the text messages just to remind myself, oh my God, even though they are saying I'm lying about every single thing that happened, I at least have these texts and these recordings in front of me. And now they've brought my family into it. It's a lot of money and power being thrown around here. And had I known what was going to be involved when I first started, Quite honestly, I don't know if I would be here right now because Let me I've moved cities. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish that, and then I'll ask. I'm going to interrupt Victor for a second. Oh, but finish okay. your answer. Um, okay. Well, I have moved cities. I have moved careers. I have moved industries. I have moved apartments. I have moved friend groups. My entire life that I had tried to establish for myself right out of college was ripped away from me. And now on top of it all, Diversa Partners, Riverbend Ventures or Resource Systems Institute, whatever name they want to go by, they're personally attacking my parents as a way to use that to leverage me to drop this lawsuit against them. Just little do they know that it was my parents who told me to fight against injustice to begin with So the very people that they're trying to attack to leverage against me are actually the people that have told me that what I'm doing is correct here. Well, I had a different follow-up, but I can't, I want to go back to how have they attacked your parents? What are they doing? They're going after my father's business. 
and all of this is public record. So I'm allowed to speak because it's been processed through the federal court system. Mm -hmm. They're going after my dad's business and my uncle's business. And they're going after my mom. I don't know in what ways, but my mom is somehow involved in this. And although my dad never had a single, single foot in any of Diverse's business, he's been subpoenaed. They've requested all sorts of records from his business. Now, this is proprietary business knowledge. He's built a business from nothing. But again, it just shows a large company with a lot of influence and a lot of money going after a small family business that, mind you, Diversa has built its business upon by helping startups and small businesses get the right people in the room. It's just a little ironic to me. Well, the question that I was originally going to ask, because you were talking about you might not be here if you had known in advance, and, and I wanted to pursue a little bit because I know as a lawyer, um, when I had clients with any kind of harassment complaints, a lot of my advice had to do with what this can do to your life and your career if you pursue this complaint. And I just am wondering mm-hmm. what your lawyers warned you of as to what consequences you might face for bringing this forward. Oh, I'm already living it. Um, I mean, the consequences are kind of unlimited because this has affected every aspect of my life. The sexual assault specifically has directly played itself into my romantic relationships to a point where one completely dissolved because I was literally unable to be romantic with him, touch him, kiss, all of that. Because when I would start doing that, the flashbacks would come of being held down in the car or being told, you are my bitch, I'm the boss, I do what I want. Or when he would put his hand on my thigh in a sauna on a business reward trip and try to bring it all the way up my thigh and then proceeding to yank my towel down after leaving, like that has impacted my romantic relationships. My social relationships, I don't go out to bars like I used to. I loved concerts, specifically EDM concerts. I had a panic attack on my first one back after two years of not even attending a single one to the point where I had to leave the concert. So that's a social cue. And I've lost a lot of joy in interacting with some of my best friends. Like, quite honestly, and this goes back to what I was saying before about like the neurological basis of depression or anxiety or something, I could be having the same conversations now that I would have had in college. I just now experience no joy in those very same conversations. That is so sad. I am so sorry, but Victor, go back to your questions. I mean, it's something that no 24-year-old should ever have to deal with. Um, I mean, do, do you feel that it was, I guess, do you know any other sexual assault victims at Diversa involving men or women? Um, uh-huh, I do. And uh, one or two actually happened before me, and they still do not have an HR department. Because money does win in a lot of situations. And I've thought a lot about masculinity and what a man's role is, or a woman's role, to be completely honest. Like man, as a general term, I think as human beings, we build and innovate and create. We are not 
meant to destroy. And I think when men get all of this money and power, they think they are just indestructible. And you've seen in so many situations, look at all the public um, assault trials or harassment trials with women. People just throw money at them and ask them to go away. I'm not willing to do that in this situation because they've had 30 years to change this culture and they have purposefully not done it because it's easier for them not to change rather than own up and face what has happened in that company. Definitely. And do you think there's enough attention towards sexual misconduct against men specifically? Um, No, I don't. And then I, I mean, like I said, it's not, men are not an underrepresented group um, at, at all, especially white men. The only thing I don't have in the trifecta is I'm not straight, but I'm a white male. And I think personally, and based on what I have studied for a long time, white men have had the obvious advantage in the United States. So I'm not saying that, oh, men are marginalized. We need to focus more on them specifically, poor them, poo-poo. I just think that there are some extra factors which we have not had discussions around. Masculinity, for one example. What does sexual assault actually look like for men? Is it only straight men with gay men? Is it gay men with gay men? I can tell you that happens a lot. My, I've spoken to a lot of my boyfriend's friends. They have gone through a similar thing than I have. So to answer your question, I don't think it's been talked about, um, but I'm also not making the argument that uh, poor males. Mm-hmm. So what you experienced at Diversa was just horrible. And, and I want to ask you, what damages are you seeking? And more broadly, what other measures do you think workplaces should be implementing to make it easier and more comfortable for victims to report similar behavior? Well, I think an HR department is pretty basic at this point. I don't know why they did not have one. Um, yes, it would make their checks and balances of power much more difficult. But come on, you're a 30-year-old company with 150 people. I know you're making millions at the top of the pyramid, but you have a duty for the people who are making you that money to actually provide an independent third party so they can feel listened to. I also think that there needs to be a quicker response time in terms of that quote-unquote bystander intervention. Not a single one of my colleagues, until I left Diversa, came up to me and said, Vaughn, we're really sorry about all the gay jokes that you experienced, or him calling you a fruitcake, or him calling you a head case, or him telling you you had to go to therapy because you're gay. We're really sorry that we didn't say anything in the moment. I just don't really find that acceptable anymore. Um, And look, I also get from the perspective that they want to keep their jobs and they think they will be retaliated against. But if that is a general thought within a company, there is something much deeper at play that needs to be addressed. What is the status of your case right now? You said you're in discovery phase. Uh, Do you have any time 
uh, frame in mind for when discovery will be over and you'll get to trial? October 20th is when discovery closes. Um, thank goodness, because I have turned over my entire life's contents in discovery. They have asked for my text messages with my best friends, with my parents, with my siblings. They've asked for my sexual partners for the last five to 10 years. They've asked for all my medical records for the past 10 years. So I'm just hoping discovery ends on a positive note for me because they have ripped up everything I have worked to build in a short six to eight months. Well, I have some confidence that you're going to be able to rebuild your life and uh, do well. Um, I understand you wrote a book. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh A novel or a nonfiction? Yes. So it's a novel. It's a fiction novel. Um, And that's, that is like an ultimate dream of mine. I wrote my first book when I was a sophomore during finals week of sophomore year, I wrote the entire book in seven days. And then I proceeded to write eight of various genres after that, before I graduated. Um, But yeah, my first book came out um, September of 2020. Congratulations. And do you (laughs) have any advice um, for men, uh, gay or straight, uh, entering the workplace not particularly at diverse. I know what your advice to them would be is don't join. Um, yes. But, um, for in, in general, is there anything that this experience has taught you and um, that you'd like to share? Yep. Um, I don't think authority should just be accepted for authority's sake. I think you are just as valuable as the CEO or managing partner. Um, and although... My voice definitely shook when I first started speaking about this. I am still standing here at the end of the day. Like, they think they can rip your life, my life in this situation apart. But I have 23 other years under my belt that they cannot even conceptualize or try to take away from me. So, yes, they're attacking me from all the different angles possible, but... I'm really just not laying down and have them walk all over me. And I would suggest that no one allows that to happen. And it's our hope that your action in bringing this lawsuit and raising this issue uh, will encourage other men and other women to report when they are assaulted, um, but to be aware of the consequences that you have suffered as a result of reporting it. Uh, So, Right. Good luck to you in, in this case, and please stay in touch with us and let us know what happens and when your trial date is set. Awesome. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate it. Thank the you time. so much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoy this episode of IGN Politics. We will see you next week for another episode. But in the meantime, feel free to follow us wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And send us your questions. If you have any questions, we'll try to Uh, Use them as a starting point for another guest. Thank you.